Hey listeners, Mealy and Christine here. Though we are licensed medical professionals, nothing we speak about in the well conversation should be taken as health advice. These episodes are based on a review of current research available and well-known frequently applied interventions used by professionals in the field. If you have a pre-existing medical condition, the information shared in this presentation may not be entirely safe or applicable to you. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before applying any changes to your health, especially if you have a pre-existing medical condition or are taking prescription medications. everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Well Conversation. Today we'll be talking about one of my favorite wellness topics, the benefits of nature. So we all know that nature is great for us, breathing in forest air, smelling the salt of the ocean, or feeling grass between your toes. But in a city like Toronto, where Maylie and I are located, it can be tough to fully enjoy the nature, especially in the wintertime. It's actually captured quite well in a quote by our guest. We instinctively know how much better we feel when we get outdoors. But what's the science behind it all? On the Well Conversation today, we have with us expert in science and nature, our friend and colleague, Owen Wiseman. Upon graduation from University of Ottawa, Owen found himself wanting to spend more time with patients than the current system permitted and found his way to naturopathic medicine. As a natural leader and dedicated community contributor, he became heavily involved in generating positive change at CCNM. Owen sat on various committees and eventually served as the president of the Naturopathic Student Association at CCNM. Owen is passionate about using the growing field of evidence supporting the clinical benefits of nature. As both a public speaker and consultant, he works with corporations and organizations to help them invest in the health of their employees by incorporating nature-focused principles into their workplace. In practice, Owen is keen about removing health as an obstacle to success and strives to be your biggest cheerleader. He's here today to help our listeners get wise about their health. Welcome, Owen. Oh, thank you both so much for having me on. I'm very excited and congratulations to you both for all the hard work you've done in the recent months on developing the Well podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot for us over the past few months, but also it's it's very lovely to see your face and have such a lovely conversation with you today. As some of our listeners might know, our graduation didn't really happen. Our year in school kind of got stopped with an abrupt halt called COVID. It's been months since I've been able to see Owen's face in person and even trying to find time to have a conversation with us all has been difficult. So it's definitely great to see your face today. Oh, likewise. So back onto the topic. So we all know, I mean, with our studies and everything, that we can do a lot with naturopathic medicine in our patients' health, in the general health and well-being of our loved ones around us. So what led you to focus specifically on the healing aspects of nature? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of going back 
quite some time and actually probably to childhood. I mean, it's kind of one of those reach back moments. I think the kind of love of nature was born. So we were really lucky to have a cottage always growing up and still in the family to the day. And so we were always around nature. We were around the water and we were around the woods and everything. I'm the youngest of 13 grandkids. Our family really prioritized being outdoors and spending time in nature. And so it just taught you to kind of appreciate it a little bit more. And I always knew that leaving the city, going to the cottage for a weekend, seeing my family there, there was something very empowering about it and very therapeutic. And even throughout high school and being able to have this retreat, this natural retreat to come away to was, was such a such a privilege. And I mean, we were barely inside. If we were at the cottage, you know, we were swimming or we were hiking or exploring the woods to find stuff to build tree forts or sticks or whatever the case may be for childhood imagination. So that was really kind of where it started. And that interest followed me through university as well. So in my undergraduate, I really missed, I wasn't able to get out to the cottage as much. And it was, if you're doing it all the time, I mean, just like any of our health wellness programs, you don't really notice when you're doing it so much, if it's to have it, you notice the absence. And that's when more anxiety sets in and more stress. And because I wasn't able to, to get out of the city, I'm a little more uh, irritable than, than I, I naturally am. But, you know, I mean, it's that's kind of where it came from. And our, our families really prioritized just being outdoors and, and letting us go on our own as well. They weren't hovering over us. So if we were swimming, you know, we had 13 grandkids and there was someone always to watch us. And just it was a really good way to kind of engage. Yeah. First of all, 13 grandkids, that's a lot of fun friends to be able to hang out with as well, especially at a cottage. But I really like the piece you had to say about more so noticing the absence rather than the presence. And that's kind of the key of preventative medicine that we focus on. It's not necessarily that you feel like 100% every day on a multivitamin. It's more so when you're not optimizing your health, then you start to notice um, the absence of particular key health factors, and you start to notice more of the presence of negative things in your life. So I definitely can attest to that factor. I'm pretty lucky because my grandparents are both in their 90s. And my grandmother has been to the hospital five times. That was for the birth of her five kids. So obviously, 60 years outdoors at the cottage has been doing something right for her. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's very impressive. One thing I definitely noticed about when you were saying when you leave the city to go to the cottage, even just hearing those words made me feel that relief of when you're driving out of the city and you know you're gone for a weekend out in nature, like that feeling. And then when you get there and you open the door to the car and you're surrounded by nature, it's just this immediate feeling that overcomes you. Yeah, it's a sense of wonderment. I find what's so beautiful about it is there's a natural curiosity that's really inherent in nature. It's kind of when we get to the cottage, you're noticing, oh, how has that tree grown? Or is there anything that needs to be done in terms of landscaping? Because there's this natural growth and progression to the area, even if you haven't been there, which I just find, yeah, really breeds that sense of natural curiosity. It's almost like a sigh of relief when you're able to leave the city and enter the nature and it's just you breathe in that forest air and it just feels so good and also it's like the serene silence that I feel whenever I go into nature it's like you stop hearing all those city noises that might seem like white noise to you like I don't really hear the roads or the highways around me but when you get into nature you're like oh this is actually what silence is supposed to sound like yeah, it's, oh my gosh, just talking about it makes me feel this like relief and this, like, yeah, all of us, I watch all of us take this breath, like when Christine was saying, we're all like, 
<sighs> sigh of relief. That feeling. <laughs> so, oh, and you know, Christine and I are very interested in corporate wellness. And I know that you do a lot of speaking and you work with corporations and companies and you kind of merge these things that are total opposites in my head of like this serenity, this nature, and then this intense stress-filled inside place with white lights. And you kind of bring the nature into companies. And I love that. And if you could just speak a little bit about how you work with employers or companies to bring the nature to help their employees receive some of these benefits. Yeah, well, I can first say that I felt a shudder pass through my body when you were talking about the white fluorescent lights, because we know now, even just looking at the research, how draining that is physically and mentally. And it just, I mean, I'm pretty lucky to work in an area that's pretty serene, I consider, and we've got a lot of nature already integrated, more so since I came in. <laughs> and, uh, and it does, it just, it makes such a difference because the whole kind of interest in the corporate side of it really started that after I read a quote, and it was employees who are satisfied with their work environments are 16% more productive, 18% more likely to stay, and 30% more attracted to their company over competitors. And I really love the business side of that. So my father's in business as well. And you just think it's a lot of money to invest in somebody, to do trainings, to spend time with HR, to get all the paperwork filed. It's a lot of money that you're investing into an individual. So my big thing was kind of how do we maximize that? And we've probably all visited a workplace where there's cubicles and consider a cubicle. When you when you walk into an organization or business and you just see row after row after row of cubicles, does that space attract you? Does that scream to future talent that, guys, you have just got to work here. You should see how amazing their office space is. It doesn't say that to me, at least. <laughs> and yeah, it brings that, sh- that like, oh, that kind of, I got yeah, a headache. It's, it's like every, everyone is closed <laughs> off, literally closed off in their cubicle spaces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, in uh, 1998, there was a publication and we spend 90% of our lives inside a building and that doesn't account for commuting time spent in a vehicle. So really, you know, let's just ballpark that's 5%. You're only spending 5% of your life outdoors. And so when I read that, it was pathetic and quite depressing to be quite honest. So it really made me make that leap to think, well, how do we combine the outdoors and the indoors? We're in Canada, so we don't have a climate where we can have our doors open all the time and have windows open all the time. We are restricted by Mother Nature and Jack Frost. So how do we make that leap? Kind of following up to that, there was the findings of a recent Harvard Business Review, and they basically surveyed, they completed this huge survey, what employees want most from their workspaces. And they asked a whole broad range of questions. They looked at on-site recreational facilities and kind of basic quality, so temperature of an office space. And that actually highlighted air quality and comfortable light as the two top wellness aspects that employees value most. And then those top scores were followed really, really closely by water quality, thermal comfort, and connection to nature and acoustics. So even though we live kind of in a more urban society, right, and you look at kind of the migration from rural areas to city centers, which we hopefully will touch upon COVID later, but you've seen kind of that migration shift a little bit now. But 
I mean, that just speaks to kind of that inherent connection that humans have, that biophilic connection. It's really funny because if I am talking to an organization, sometimes I'll get a little pushback about those qualities. And, you know, some of the executives there may be thinking, yeah, but Owen, you should see our on-site gym or, or take a glance at our super robust meditation rooms. And unfortunately for them, I kind of come back and say, you know what, most don't actually work. And I, you know, don't take my word for it, right? There's another review from Harvard Medical School and it demonstrated that the majority of the investments that companies have made are actually pretty impressive, which is a huge gap that now kind of, I think our generation and, you know, you two founding the well company are really looking at how do we help fill that? How do we help make wellness programs that work? Yeah, I love that. And also going back to the statistic you said about that uh, paper in 1998, how we spend 90% of our lives within a building. That's a crazy stat. And I really like that, you know, you're taking this aspect of incorporating nature into people's lives in their workplace. And that's kind of the same reason why Maylee and I decided to go down the corporate wellness route. And it's because you're spending most of your hours of your day either at a workplace or working. So it's almost insane that we don't consider trying to make lifestyle changes at work because you're spending most of your waking hours there anyway. It would almost be easier just to try and incorporate something in the workplace where you can do that alongside your work. And why wouldn't you do that if it's also going to increase the productivity of workers as well? So I love the incorporation of of nature into something that we're doing all day. Yeah. And I think for me too, it's kind of, they're really, really, really set on kind of these on-site gyms that they've invested in. And I get it, like gym equipment's super, super expensive. So, you know, there's good news and bad news to that because the good news is the gym actually did have a little bit of benefit, right? So 8.3% more employees engaging in regular exercise and about 14% reported more actively managing their weight. And already, again, us being in naturopathic medicine, we look at that and we're going, great, you know, if a 10th of your employees are a little more physically active or watching their weight, that's going to have rolling impacts into cardiometabolic benefits and preventatively they're not pulling from the benefits plan as much. So it does have these kind of rolling factors, but then on the flip side, they, in this Harvard medical school review, they looked at 27 different measures of individual overall health. So that was nutrition and how well they slept and it showed squat. 38 other measures tracking prescription medication use or job satisfaction or the number of medical procedures that employees had, squat. <laughs> there was 10 clinically relevant markers of health, you know, kind of respirate, BP, and again, squat. So we're investing in all these programs and they're not working. So, you know, you can keep the gym, but you really seriously need to consider some other options. And that's kind of where you look at the research behind integrating the nature. And one of the things that I think we really want to highlight is the absenteeism and it's kind of employees not showing up to work. And when they actually kind of dove into that, 10% of the absenteeism was explainable and attributable to poor office design. So you just think, well, if we invest a little bit of money in better office design, people are going to want to show up. And that kind of goes back to the cubicle aspect who wants to show up to this dark, poorly lit, closed off, very isolating prison? It's kind of it's kind of the first word that pops into my head. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also important that when we make the entire space this better place and we're bringing nature into the entire space, everyone benefits, right? When we put a gym, there's a subset of people who were probably already on the path to use that gym. They have to make that decision. They have to have that self-control and kind of that motivation to bring themselves to that gym, which already is excluding probably 70% of the people. So when we change the environment, we're allowing people to experience this different work environment that they don't have to make a choice about. It's just there. So on those low motivation days, they're still receiving these benefits. And so I think that's a huge factor where your investment in that is therefore making a much larger impact on 100% of the employees. Yeah. And I think that that kind of speaks to the benefit of the few versus the benefit of the many and the collective. And it's called the tragedy of the commons when you kind of look at it in the, in the research-based evidences. If a few of us really exploit resources, you know, oil extraction and all that, how are the rest of us benefiting? And when you look at the actual data behind even just putting plants into an office space, there's almost a 65% reduction in overall negativity. And that was measured through feelings of anger, hostility, tension, and anxiety. And, and what workplace could not do with a little <laughs> decrease in negativity? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, all I hear is negativity from especially my friends who work in office job so they're in these cubicles and all they say is like every single day like I hate my job I hate going there I hate the people I work with I hate just being there and like having to work in that space and it's just terrible for me and I'm like that's a lot of negativity all at once that they have to face every single day for most of their waking hours so even just a small reduction of how you were saying just a plant in your office I can see that you have some lovely plants behind you as well <laughs> and even just that small change having such a drastic reduction in overall negativity would be astronomical for most of the workforce. Yeah. Well, and you think too, I mean, speaking to your friends there, it's kind of, yeah, if they're hating their job, then are they going to come home happy? So you can really see how there is so much work to be done at work in terms of improving how people are feeling because that snowballs into every other facet of their life. And it's kind of when you look at the plant thing, putting plants in the office, there's improved job satisfaction. So spaces that have more green or blue elements, those employees actually speak more highly of their work than offices without nature. So automatically you're doing this passive intervention that doesn't require any action on the employee's part, but it does speak to what well, my company values me and they're putting in place, right? And a 15% overall increase in well-being and happiness and 8% increase in productivity. I mean, even I'm really interested in kind of the economics side of biophilic design as well. And when you look at kind of absenteeism per employee per year, it costs a company about $1,600. But then that also kind of begs the question about, well, what if they show up to work, but just physically? And so that's called presenteeism. And it's a lot harder to track objectively, just to put measures in place about while well, they're at work, but they're tired, they miss their caffeine or their kid kept them up at night. But some researchers are kind of looking at presenteeism and thinking that the cost of it could be 10 times more than absenteeism. So if a company can afford to hemorrhage $16,000 per year per employee, because they won't invest in health programs that work, that's literally their business at that point. If you can afford all that money going down the drain, by all means, but there are ways and there are programs and interventions that work. Yeah, that's a crazy amount of money 
per year, per employee to be spending on just unhappy employees. I like the economical aspect of this as well. And even from the simple aspect of improved job satisfaction, for example, I mean, the retention rates of having a happy employee that is happy to come into work in an office that's filled with plants, that's filled with nature, where a company has invested realistically very little of their total resources into improving a workspace that's more nature-oriented. That's such a small investment to make in increasing retention of high-quality talent and also reducing absenteeism and presenteeism in the workplace as well. It's honestly like there should really be no question. I had a question about when you were speaking, you were talking about the colors green and blue. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I know we're talking about bringing nature in. What about fake nature? Like what about a painting or just photographs? So say you got a large, beautiful photograph of the ocean with some trees around it. Do you know, would that have also measurable impacts on employee health? Yeah. So, I mean, that I don't even need to speak to subjectively. They did want to do a trial to compare virtual nature versus static nature in terms of, like you said, a painting or something versus more active live nature. That requires a little more intervention, a little more work. And so it's some is better than nothing at that point. And that was what you see. There's been quite a few studies now that have repeated it, but there's even some office spaces where they'll have a screen playing this loop of different nature scenes. And even that, our eyes respond to it and our brains respond to it. And that's really where if you look at the physiology side of nature a little bit and how is it doing that. So in the visual cortex, in the eye, there's mu receptors, which actually are opioid related receptors. So when people are out in nature and they talk about what a pleasure it is, it is literally pleasurable because you have these opioid receptors responding to the visual of nature because that all feeds back again into the visual cortex. So even if you have these screens playing nature or these paintings, your brain still is able to identify those images as something nature-based and they respond. So if you live in an area where you might not be able to have a live plant, that's okay. Because even if your company invests in screens and just plays a loop, it's doing something. Is it doing the most amount of benefit that you can get out of that intervention? Probably not, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. So speaking of areas that you're living in. So obviously from COVID, a lot of people have moved into work from home models. So I know I'm doing 100% of my work from home. I know a lot of my friends who used to be working in offices, commuting to downtown Toronto every day. They're all, you know, homebound right now for the first future. So are those benefits still applicable? So if I were to change my workspace from home to be a little more nature oriented, would those benefits that you were speaking about before still be applicable to health and wellness from home? Yeah, the transition of the work from home model has been actually very interesting to follow from my perspective and my interest as well. And workplaces, when you look at the data that offer the ability to personalize an employee's day, they're a lot more attractive. And we always go back to the larger company the Google offices, and you can go in and you can play ping pong, or you could go to the kitchen and have a meal prepared for you. So there's all these really great ways to kind of personalize it. But now we're at home. So 
it's kind of the question, do I want to work at my desk? Do I want to work in a boardroom? Do I want to work in the indoor park after I finish this project? And for that, you do see a lot of the familiar benefits, but it does depend on the access to views and to nature that you do have at home. So, I mean, plants, again, are such a passive intervention, even if you get a fake plant, which no judgment, right? If you don't have a green thumb and you're going to kill everything that comes through your door, that's fine. But you do still get the benefit of being able to. And there was a really interesting case study as well. And they looked at, it was out of Sacramento and they looked at this municipal district call center. And what they were noticing is that those facing windows with views of nature handled calls six to 7% faster. And that's a really good productivity objective measure of how our employees are doing in a sector like a call center. So after that, they're going, okay, there's something there interesting to be done. So now they're thinking to install windows in other areas and they actually rearrange the desks to face outwards, which did require some more square footage and they took that into account. So the cost was about $1,000 per employee. And within four months, they had paid off their investment and they were saving $3,000 per employee per year in terms of just base health costs. So when we look at kind of the work from home model, you can see, well, if I orient my workspace facing outside, I'm going to be a lot more productive and I'm going to be healthier to boot because there are so many benefits, even with daylighting and having that access to natural light. I love that. And also you were talking about even if you don't have a green thumb. So I know COVID has been tough for all. And trust me, I dislike it as much as the next person. But one thing that it has helped me with is my green thumb. So I used to be notorious for killing plants. Anything, even people say, oh, yeah, just get a succulent. You barely water it. Just leave it in low light. It'll be fine. I've killed so many succulents. I can't even begin to count on all my fingers and toes. <laughs> but being able to, you know, be at home and have something to focus on and take care of, I find that COVID had really helped me keep plants alive. So I'm definitely thankful to have these plants around me in my work from home space. But on that topic, another thing I'm definitely thankful of COVID for is the amount of time I've been able to allocate to actually put myself physically in nature. So thanks to COVID, being able to work from home, I have all this extra time from not having to commute. And also because there's so much less to do out with your friends from a social aspect and also a personal aspect as well. It's not like, you know, I'll be going out to dinner with all of my friends or going to meet someone at the mall or something. There are a lot less options. So I feel like I found myself a lot more seeing friends in nature, going to parks, visiting hikes around me that I never knew existed because I never took the time to look for them. But I found that I'm definitely spending a lot more time in nature and it's definitely helped with the mental health aspect of dealing with COVID as well. And also just especially at the beginning, um, entering a work from home space without really ever having had those opportunities. There was a lot of anxiety around it for myself, for some of my friends as well. And I feel like just being in green spaces really helped deal with all those stressors. Yeah, I would say I like in the middle of the day now, every day I go for a walk and you notice immediately it's I'm lucky enough that I live near the beach. And so every day, usually after lunch in the afternoon, I now go for a walk and you notice that afternoon slump you usually feel it's not there. So you come back in from outside, even when it's freezing, almost especially when it's freezing, you come back inside and you have this refresh, you have this feeling. And we all know that that feeling exists. We all know what it feels like to go outside and be active and 
come back. I think it's just this disconnect that we often do with a lot of things that are good for us, like exercise, like eating healthy. We know it feels good, but it's just equating that with, okay, it's going to be good for me then. And then pushing it to the next level and saying, okay, then it's going to make me more productive. We can easily look at the two and we can make that connection. And I think it's just encouraging that and giving people the how-to on that. As and well. I know mainly, especially from one of our first episodes, you did say that you wanted to, I think it was spend 20 minutes a day in nature for your new year's goal. How's that going? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've killed that goal. I probably spend 45 minutes a day walking along. I mean, sometimes I definitely use it to avoid coming back and doing work. <laughs> and so maybe my overall productivity could have been increased if I reduced it to 20, 30 minutes. But yeah, I've definitely, it's that positive feedback, right? The more you do it, the more you realize it helps you. And it just feels so good. Keeping track of that goal is... I think our uh, science nature expert would definitely tell you that being outside for 40 minutes is not crushing your productivity. It's in fact improving it because of your overall increase in wellness and your more positive mental health mind space. Am I right, Owen? <laughs> I could say that. I mean, you both touched on so many amazing things there. And first thing that popped into my mind was going back to what Maylee said earlier, just about gyms on site are only accessible to maybe 30% of people who are actually going to use it. And that's a really big benefit I have in my head about nature is that it is so accessible, right? Um, it welcomes you kind of no matter your journey through life. And there's paved pathways for those with mobility devices. And there's so many countless green spaces that literally cost nothing more than just you being respectful as you visit that space. Nature doesn't see your orientation, your creed, your gender, but you know, it just encourages you to engage with the world around you. And I mean, I love the actual item of, yeah, I am going out for 20 minutes every single day. And to some people they go, you know, oh, is that enough? Is that too much? And the really cool part is that all you need to do is spend five minutes in nature and that's it. And you actually see improvements in mood and self-esteem from just five minutes. So it doesn't have to be this big hike every day through the woods, right? You could even just, if you're lucky enough to have a balcony or a backyard, then you could just go and stand outside and just be in nature. And that's the part I really, really like because, you know, you had said, earlier about with COVID and everything, we're connecting more with nature. And one of the most amazing authors that I've had a chance to really read and go a little more in depth is, is, is Richard Louvre. And he wrote about something called nature deficit disorder. And now is that an official kind of DSM criteria? No, it's not. But you know, in the future, you could see that added. And really, with nature deficit disorder, because of the urbanization that we're experiencing at the pace that we're experiencing, how many people have time to find a nearby park? Because the nearest park might be an hour away by transit, right? Or even if you're biking, it could be, you know, still half an hour away. So it does make it difficult to access. And there's ways around that. I mean, you look at Singapore right now is aiming to be the greenest city globally, and they're well on their way. They're miles ahead of other countries and cities all around the world. And by 2030, they want to have every single resident within a 10 to 15 minute walk of a park. And I think it's a goal. And that's something I think all of us should emulate. And we are very lucky here in Canada that we have access to all of the provincial parks and the amazing spots to go that we do. But, you know, obviously 
nature is new for some people because of that nature deficit disorder. They've been in the city their whole life. They're not familiar with nature. They're removed from it now. And so they don't have that familiarity, but it is still inherent within us. So at the University of Vermont, there was a study and I was reading about, I think it was published, if I'm not mistaken, in December. And it found that 26% of people that were visiting parks in and around Vermont had never or rarely visited nature in the previous year. So because like you were saying, Christine, you're not able to go to the restaurants anymore. You're not going out to the clubs. So it's really forcing you to engage with what's around you and what's accessible around you. And I know at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a big issue in Toronto. I don't know if it happened anywhere else, but we saw that some of our parks started closing. It started with playgrounds and then it started that a lot of people are congregating in parks quite irresponsibly, some would say. So I know that they eventually started closing some parks and that became a big issue for people. I know it started with people who own dogs. They were like, where am I supposed to walk my dog if I don't have access to green space? Do you want them just to, you know, do their business on the sidewalks of Toronto? So I know that that was a big issue. Do you have any commentary on that? Yeah, all the health agencies have really been learning. Everybody, as we've gone through this now year of dealing with the pandemic and everything, there's been steps and missteps and we've learned how to better it. And so, I mean, the park thing, it's definitely a little almost elitist or ableist, if if I can say that, because you're assuming, I mean, going out to the park, that might be all those people have. They can't afford bikes. They can't afford other areas of recreation. They can't afford to travel an hour and a half north to cottage country country like some of the escapees did and and so that park might be the only green space or the only access to nature that they have because let's say you're out of a job how can you afford transit to go to a nearby park so it's a quite a privileged position to take where you can say well we'll just close down the parks and you know people will deal with it i found it quite ableist almost so that was the thing that the study was looking at is really you know how has the pandemic changed north americans relationship with nature and there was a huge increase in people trying to get out to urban forests and parks in the early days of the pandemic. And people really valued that. So when they were talking to the respondents in this study, they were saying just how important that access was. And it's free. At the end of the day, it's something that everybody can do. And as long as people are respecting social distancing guidelines, even when you look at kind of COVID-19 and the variants, when they've ran models on how it spreads in a, you know, say eight by 10 room with ventilation, without ventilation, people wearing masks and people not wearing masks, it spreads a lot slower, if at all, if you have really good ventilation and circulation. So if you are responding to social distance guidelines out in a park, your chance of getting it are far lower than if you're gathering inside. So I think having access to green space is just so important because like you said, walking the dog, maybe that's the only toy or access to play that your children have. Finding peace and quiet, bird watching, you know, connecting to nature and exercise. And, and a lot of the people actually reported using those natural areas to find peace and quiet. So there's a lot of upsides for certain people for the work from home model. But for a lot of us, that meant, oh, well, I have no escape from the people that I live with anymore. (laughs) So, you know, if you're going from living on your own or seeing your family kind of in the evening to now you're with them 24-7, my God, who doesn't need a little bit of a reprieve escaping to the nearby park to just sit on a bench and decompress? And even from a work, again, like a corporate wellness kind of point of view, 
when they've talked to different employees, one in three felt distracted by noises and felt that it really significantly detracted from their ability to function while at work. So when you give people these natural escapes to go to, maybe they bring their book, maybe they bring their computer and they just work out in nature. So, you know, COVID-19 really hit kind of low-income Americans and North Americans and Canadians the hardest. That lack of access to green space, I truly believe compounded the mental health impacts of COVID-19. So I'm happy that now they're opened up and hopefully people continue to respect distancing. But uh, no, it's so important. Mm -hmm. I definitely appreciate having parks and green spaces to meet my friends <laughs> you know, some of them I hadn't seen their faces for months. And then it's like, oh, you know what? Let's meet at the park. Let's just go for a walk. Let's just like sit on a bench and have a conversation from a responsible distance away. And I've definitely come to appreciate parks and green spaces a lot more during COVID than any other time in my life. Well, and like with Maley too, you know, when you prioritize a walk in the afternoon, it's easy for all of us to just go, if you're working from home, you know, go lie down, have a nap at 2 p.m. So now if I'm starting to feel kind of that afternoon I'm going, you're not lying down. You're going to go for a walk, even if it's minus 30 out. And even if it's a 20 minute walk, you're getting outside. And then I come back and I feel, okay, yeah, I'm totally ready to tackle my afternoon. Yeah. And I think it's something that some people can learn during this. COVID has also given us a lot of opportunity to learn things about ourselves that I've definitely taken away from this past year working at home. And now there's that routine in place. So it's a good time where you have a little bit more, some people, their work schedules are more flexible now. So if you're working from home and you need to bring your phone with you in case you have emails or phone calls, but you can take that walk. And now you've established this habit that when, and if you go back to work, you now have this afternoon walk. So maybe you leave to eat your lunch outside when you have your break at work and you may not have quite the flexibility, but if you can incorporate 10, I mean, five minutes, like you said, to go outside during your work day, now you've got that habit and you've practiced it. Because as we've talked about in our goal setting podcast, we need to take really small steps and we need to practice things. And this is something, another health and wellness thing that it takes time to get used to. So if you've got that routine of that afternoon slump, okay, I'm going to take a quick nap. And I mean, naps definitely have some benefit, but now if instead of scrolling on Instagram or doing something non-productive at that time, you could do that outside. Even if you're scrolling on Instagram outside, small steps. And speaking of actionable steps, Owen, do you have maybe three actionable steps that you can share with our listeners, something that they can do from their work from home status to incorporate the benefits of nature therapy in their lives? Yeah, I mean, right away, obviously, get a few plants, fill the space with a few plants that you enjoy looking at. And there's obviously endless, endless different varieties. But you know, there's so many different lists online about the top five house plants that you can have. Dracaenas are a really easy one. And just keep an eye on it. it. Gives you, like you said, Christine earlier, it gives you something to nurture and almost step outside yourself and care for something. And there's a sense of pride looking after it. So I definitely love the idea of an actionable step being buy a plant. Even if you think you're terrible with it, just buy one. And you know, if you're spending a lot of money replacing it because they keep dying, get a fake one. There's really nice fake plants now. And I'm always a proponent of real over fake. But in this sense, something is better than nothing. Probably another one would be look at ways that you could kind of reorient your workspace. So if you are at home, let's say it's a, a one bedroom apartment, you know, is there a way that you can shift the room around a little bit to make your desk 
face outdoors. Once we start to get into the warmer weather, can you actually step out onto your balcony out into the backyard and do a little bit of work even for 30 minutes? Because when we jump back to that 90% of our time spent in a building, even if you're outside for 30 minutes, you still get that fresh air. You still hear the sounds I'd like to say of birds, but it might be city noise as well. And then in terms of a third actionable step is just both of you are really prioritizing getting outside. It doesn't have to be long. I love the idea of what Maylee said in terms of use Instagram, but use it outside because if you're going to be doing it anyway, that's fine, but why not get some steps in, get some exercise in. And then what I would be really curious about is whether people find that they're using their phone less during these habit forming walks as they start to kind of pay attention to what's going on around them. And that's kind of the beauty of nature is it definitely challenges us to look up and engage. So what I'm hearing from this is that you give me permission to go out and buy more plants. (laughs) I'll never say no to more plants. (laughs) I will definitely go and do that, despite the fact that, yes, I do have too many plants. As soon as I started being able to keep them alive, my place is overfilled with plants now. (laughs) Christine even got me two plants for my place. And one of the two is alive. The snake plant. The snake plant. I also live in a basement. So we have many snake plants, but no other varieties now left. (laughs) Just so everyone knows, the snake plants are great for low light homes. So basement apartments, uh, maybe if your condo doesn't have light exposure during optimal times, snake plants will stay alive. And definitely one of the first plants that I've been able to keep alive. (laughs) Minimal effort. Minimal effort is what I go for. (laughs) I like the idea of the plants too, because it it does encourage as you kind of engage with your friends and stuff. So I have a lot of plants. I'm pretty lucky to have access to really good light in my house. And, you know, I have so many different clippings and babies. So if it's a friend's birthday or maybe it's a just because day, then I'll leave them a little curbside delivery. And it's just a little clipping of one of my plants that I've rooted. And hey, you know what? Even if they kill it, I've got more on the way. Plants are great that way, but it's a neat conversation starter and way to engage with your friends right now. Yes. I feel like the millennial generation have just somehow flocked to plants and every one of my friends has plants. (laughs) No one's ready to, you know, have kids. So they just buy more plants. (laughs) I'm actually part of not one, but two Facebook groups where we just talk about our plants. I think it's like Toronto plant owners or something, but it's literally just a place where I can post about my plants. If I have any issues, any leaves browning, I'll just say, Hey, anyone have this issue? And like immediately Within seconds, I'll get a response of someone being like, hey, try this soil, try this water. And I love that community as well. And so to wrap up for today, thank you so much, Owen, for joining us on The Well Conversation. Uh, Where can listeners find you or reach out to you in a social space or either by email, one-on-one? I'm a huge fan of conversation and discussion, however individuals need to reach out. So they can either find me at my website, owenwiseman.com, which I'm sure will be listed in the description there. Or if you're really interested, I mean, the key thing of this podcast was discussing science and nature. And you can find that on Facebook or on Instagram. So science and nature official is kind of the tag to get access to the account. And then every Monday we post a new research bite of some study and whether it's 
showing benefits in the education field or the healthcare field. There's always a new benefit coming out on Monday. And then on Fridays, we really try and highlight an education piece or we'll highlight one of the many charities that are doing a lot of work to preserve our access to these natural spaces, which are quickly disappearing. So that's where I'm happy to connect with all of your listeners. Well, Owen, it's always a pleasure having you and we would love to have more conversations with you in the future. Thank you so much for coming on to The Well Conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited for what your listeners gain out of this conversation and hopefully they make a wise choice about their business and health. Oh, I love it. (laughs) And to our listeners, until next time, feel well, learn well.